I'm Chris, and with me is Matt, and we're slowing down, talking to the people around us between the miles. Matt, my friend, good to see you. Another great conversation for this week. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm really excited um, because I, you know, much like our listeners, I, I, I came in actually not knowing uh, much about Simon, but dude's just super profound, um, you know, and I think his life experiences has, has really, you know, uh, given him a positive view of how he operates a business, but, you know, just a positive view on, on you know, how he operates life as well. And uh, I, I really took a lot away from this conversation. Yeah, and uh, I'm, I'm excited uh, because Simon and I have known each other for a long time, as we'll talk about in the uh, conversation in the podcast recording. And, you know, Matt, I, I I don't know about you, but I sometimes like how sometimes we we have guests that neither of us have really met before. And then sometimes we have someone where you know them a little bit more than I do and, and everything. And one of the things I've really greatly appreciated about conversations like this is just even if I feel like I know the person, there's so much new that I learn. And so uh, I know this conversation uh, was a really good one. I'm excited for people to listen to it. So without further ado, here is Simon Piles. All right, Simon, how is it going, my friend? It's going. How about you guys? Doing well, doing well. Um, Simon, uh, so glad that you could uh, join us today. And uh, for um, even though we introduced you a little bit at the beginning of the show, can you just uh, tell people what you do and who you are? Sure. My name is Simon Piles. I am the owner of a company called Baltimore's Premier Event Solutions. Um, and I'm also a freelance musician and a worship leader at the Church of the Nativity in Timonium, Maryland. Awesome. Awesome. And for, for our regular listeners, um, Simon is uh, good friends and bandmates uh, with uh, Chris Perazio, who uh, we had um, earlier on the show, you know, a couple of episodes ago. And uh, Simon um, um, and I have known each other. I, I don't know if you'll believe this, man, but for like 17 years, we've known each other 17 years now. Isn't that kind of crazy? That checks out. Yeah, that checks out. <laughs> you don't seem too surprised. I guess you're like, oh man, it's been that long. Well, so yeah, I mean, I, I count it as the amount of time that I have been at the church in the nativity, and that never uh, surprises me anymore. Once one of our former students uh, told me she was born basically the same month I got there, and that student is now 21 years old. So, well, yeah, and you know, <laughs> if it if it helps you anymore, you and Chris were in high school when I first met you. So, like, you know. And I was that's not. true. That's something I don't have to deal with. <laughs> and, and I was not. Yeah. So anyway, um, but uh, yeah, Matt, Simon and I, we go way back um, and we've shared the love of um, like whiskey, horse racing, um, the Rangers, New York Rangers, uh, music, um, you know, movies, just odd stuff. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like eclectic. Um, and that's why I'm excited to have Simon on the show, because I think he is an eclectic um, guy who thinks about a lot of things in many different ways. So, you know, the way that you um, continue to describe yourself, Chris, uh, like for the people listening, I'm just surprised you haven't started like, uh, you know, uh, Renaissance man, like not a Renaissance club, right? Because that would be completely (laughs) different, Um, but a Renaissance man club, because you like, you know, every time there's like someone else and then they have, you know, eight layers to them. And, and so Matt, if I were going to have a Renaissance man club, I'd have to be good at those things. I just have an interest <laughs> in them. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. 
<laughs> Could you just try a bunch of stuff and still be a Renaissance man? I don't know. That's just called like lazy and not committal, you know. But, <laughs> but we're starting anyway. off on the right foot here. This yeah, is here we go. Here we go. But anyway, no, Simon, you are a man of many talents and many expertise. Um, and so, uh, you know, just uh, going back to our time, um, you know, where we met at Nativity, and I met you, you know, obviously, uh, you're part of their um, worship band there. And, uh, but when I met you, you were also a part of the um, Men and Boys Choir uh, yeah. that was at Nativity. So tell us a little bit about your history with music, you know, because it's been a huge influence and in part of your life. Yeah, I mean, it's been the majority of my life it's a lot of what has defined me as a person and taking me where I've been and the things I've done. Um, I, uh, music in my life stems from both my parents were musicians, um, in their own right, uh, growing up. And, um, the, uh, I started singing at age seven at the cathedral of Mary, our queen here in Baltimore. It was, uh, um, you know, they came through the, the elementary school and auditioned people to be in the choir. And I was really into it. Um, and I'm still, best friends with the person who uh um auditioned me that day when i was seven and that person was in their 20s um and uh you know it from there i you know ended up at nativity at uh, some point the uh that choir director left uh, the cathedral and ended up getting recruited to come to nativity and the entire cathedral choir actually left and went with him it's kind of a big deal and um you know, I was a kid at the time, but it seemed like the fun thing to do, singing with all the people that I knew, and it was a great group. Um, and that's how I ended up at Nativity. Um, and the beginnings of my musical career are rooted in the church. They're rooted in traditional choir music. That's where I learned to sing. That's where I learned what music was, how to speak that language. Um, so a ton of what I do has been rooted in that and certainly stems from it. I do a ton else now and not hardly any of that type of music anymore but it's certainly something i appreciate is where i came from well I, I, and i'm glad you mentioned that too because um uh, i assume you're talking about adric right as yeah. uh, the oh, choir yeah. director and uh um and i got a chance to work with him for a little bit too and uh he definitely had the, that you guys had community right um, oh yeah and tell us a little bit more about like what made that group so tight i mean other than talent um what were some of the other attributes that made that group so solid yeah you know the interesting thing i'm glad you took talent off the table because it was going to be the first thing out of my mouth so now i have a challenge to uh, define it but it really was i mean it was it was a lot of skill but it was also people who just really loved loved doing it i mean i think anytime you have that um it's it's really, it's really a special thing. I equate it to like, you know, I can do the music metaphors. I can do comparisons to baseball too. And like coaching a little league team where there's three kids on the team that their parents made them be there and they don't want to do it, whether they're talented or not. And um, usually it's cause they're not, but you know, there's a difference between like a travel team and a, and a little rec league team this choir was, it was the travel team. Everyone wanted to be there. Everyone was invested. Everyone was really good at it. There was, you know, consistent, regular rehearsals and um, just sort of hanging out and being around each other. Um, and that sense of community just really grew out of the love for doing it and creating, um, just creating beautiful music together. I mean, there's something that's 
almost uh, unexplainable about how that can uh, unite people when you create something that, you know, you can attribute it to talent, but when you put all the talent together and it just works out, it's kind of hard to describe what happened, but you know, it's great and you want to replicate that feeling. And I think that really goes, goes a lot towards creating a sense of community that people just want to be a part of. Yeah. I mean, how often when, when we're around the age that you guys are talking about are, you know, are these little things that define us, whether we play sports or we lean into music or whatever it is, it, right. it creates those communities almost unknowingly. Right. And then to go back and reflect upon them to see like, Oh, wow. You know what? I was just passionate about that at my, at that point in my life. Right. And I didn't realize how key it was to be surrounded by people that weren't just passionate about it, but were willing to like lean into their talents. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's a great point of like uh, reflecting back on it now, you know, when I'm seven, eight, nine years old, certainly not recognizing that around me there there was nobody sitting in the outfield picking daisies there was everyone wanted to be there and everyone wanted to do it so now looking back on it I can look at that and say wow maybe that's why it was so great and also why and and things like that attract like-minded people and like-hearted people as well um and I think that is what you know strong community builds strong community yeah and you know you 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 said something almost at the start of your thought that just like all of a sudden, like, I don't know that a light bulb went off, but if this were a cartoon, maybe the proverbial light bulb would have went off. And, and it was this, right? Like, like you found that at that point, it kind of defined you. It, it, I think it's something that you said, right? And so mm-hmm. I, I started thinking about like, at what point do you go from something defining you, right? That you're maybe right. passionate about, talented to then defining how it shows up in your world or how it shows up for you. Right. Yeah, no, that, that's interesting. I, I don't, I don't have the clear answer on that. I've been thinking about it. Like I say a lot that it defines who I am. I think for the most part, it's, it's what I spent most of my time doing. And at, at a certain point um, when you're influenced in little little decisions about what you choose to do or influenced in little ways about how you see things because of the people that you're around and what they do um i think at a certain point the little definitions that inform your day-to-day decisions and what you do and like what you like to be around those sort of culminate into i guess when we say something defines us or it's is a big part of who we are um and you know, we started off a little bit uh, before this talking about almost this. I spent my, you know, entire childhood and still a little bit now, uh, certainly less, uh, you know, trying to be the jack of all trades guy. I was, I'm still the guy that likes to do everything. And there's just not time for that to be good at everything. Um, and I think the things that define us are the things that we choose to stick with as we lose some of those things if that makes sense um and in high school i made choices to stick with music in a art driven career and go away from a lot of the sports i played and at that point i feel uh really started to fu- to define who i was and music was a big part of that well like and and i'll just kind of say this because i know chris has uh something to jump in here but you know, it's funny because I had a conversation with uh, the group at work this morning about like when we know what we're saying 
uh, when we identify what we want to say yes to, it also helps us to figure out like what we're saying no to. Right. Oh, yeah. And for you, Absolutely. right. Yeah. It probably at that age was not an easy decision to drop sports, right? but you did it. And looking back, you're like, wow, like that was a pivotal decision for me to really lean into, into this space. And a quick note on that is honestly, looking back, I, I felt like maybe it was a difficult decision at the time. I'm thinking the opposite, actually looking back on it, I'm noticing how easy of a decision it was. And that's where I'm saying you can, it's a time like that where you can say, oh, you know what? That's where a definition starts to form right there. You know, I really, I believe that was one of the easier decisions and it wasn't because I wasn't super passionate about sports. I still love them. I spent six or seven years coaching baseball just because I wanted to get back and be around the sport. And, um, but yeah, no, I think it was an easy decision uh, back then now that I'm reflecting on it, which is interesting. You know, um, kind of going along with that, uh, and, um, you know, one of the things you mentioned is just this interest in doing more and more different things. Um, so even though you've kind of, you know, wrapped yourself in this life of music and, and entertainment, you're still kind of branching and exploring uh, new avenues. And so mm -hmm. why, why do you think that is? Why do you think there is this pursuit for new uh, frontiers? You know, for, for me, and I, I've, I've tried to think about this a little bit, but for me, it's, I just, I, I hate not learning things. I like new stuff. I like new challenges. Um, and I find the points in my life when I get stuck in something or I'm in a rut or if I'm hitting writer's block with music or if I'm not enjoying one of my passions at a certain point, I take a step back and I realize it's because I haven't done anything new in a while. Um, and I just, I, I really think that trying to stretch beyond what we're good at and trying new things. Um, and part of this is the entrepreneurial brain that I'm stuck with of thinking I can do something better than someone else and, or better than I did it yesterday. Um, I think it's the times when I try to branch off of that and try something new that my passions that I've been doing forever come back into focus, which is interesting because then it becomes a time management thing that you need to get better at. Right. But I, you know, by taking some focus away from it, that that new thing could inform a perspective on something I've been trying to get past for a year. Um, so I just like to learn. I like to learn stuff. Um, and I definitely, it's a practice, you know, um, taking time to challenge yourself and try something new or explore something um, is something that I have struggled with, but tried to work on because I really do believe it opens up a ton of possibilities in our everyday life that we kind of get stuck into. So, you know, with that, um, let's, let's kind of take a step back to, all right, you're pursuing music as, as a kid, you're starting to think about college, you're, you head up to New York to um, pursue this degree in, in, in acting and arts and, and, and whatnot. Um, mm -hmm. But at the same time today, you're running a business with your brother on events yep. and everything. Can you tell us a little bit about that evolution uh, of how, how that occurred and evolved? Yeah. All right, let's hit the timeline bullet points on that one. Okay, so I, um, and this is all going to boil back to, interestingly enough, I, um, in my college entrance 
essay on my application for Marymount Manhattan. Um, when I applied, I was not, in high school, I was not the homework guy. I did not do a ton of work. I tested well, but didn't do a ton of work. And even on my college entrance essays, I, lack of a better term, half-assed a lot of it. But one thing I wrote in my college entrance essay, trying to get into theater school, which by the way, I had done like two plays in high school at this point. Um, and just to be totally honest, was dating a girl at the time who her plan was to go to New York and do theater. And I had no plans of my own. And I said, you know what, that sounds good. I could probably, I could probably do that. Um, and it turned out that I, I could do that. But in my college entrance essay, I wrote that I thought that every person on planet earth should be forced to go to theater school first and should force to be to study acting because in order to portray someone else you have to learn about yourself first and i feel like in in education in high school and college that's mostly what people need to be doing because so many people get out of those things unprepared with that information of who who they are um and i wrote that partially because i believed it maybe i'd heard it somewhere um, but mostly it, I thought it sounded really good. And um, when I went to audition there, there was about, you know, seven, 800 people in an auditorium that were all auditioning that day. And the head of the theater arts department came out and read from a random college essay. And it happened to be mine. He read that line out loud. And I was like, oh man, maybe there's something to that. That's cool. Um, so at any rate, theater school finishes. I was back and forth to Baltimore all through college because New York is a great place to visit, but it is a horrible place to live. And that's just, maybe that's just me. I think that's a lot of people. I didn't like not having a car and like not being in control of where I go. Um, so anyways, I was back and forth to Baltimore a lot, playing gigs, working at the church, um, just cause it was a path of least resistance there. When I got out of acting school, I moved back home to Baltimore, spent a ton of time just playing music, going on road trips. And then I actually applied uh, for an accelerated master's in nursing at Johns Hopkins University, which I got into and at the very last minute decided to not do it. And I was going to pursue music full time. Um, and when I did that, I got super scared and just started working for my brother who had been DJing and he had like this small DJ company at the time. Um, and so once I made this big decision to like, I, you know, you spend a year planning something at the last minute, you're like, you know what, now nah, I'm gonna just go with playing music. Every parent wants to hear that for sure. Um, so at any rate, just to, just to make some money, I started helping my brother on events and we're talking about, you know, high school dances and stuff like that is the biggest events we used to do. And all the, all the gear was in our mother's living room. Um, and about after about two years, working for him two or three years working for him he had a sort of business partner who was just another dj who they ended up really disagreeing on things and parting ways and business looked like it wasn't really going to do anything and at a certain point i without some real direction without the success that i was i thought would be a little more immediate with playing original music um, after some opportunities fell through i told my brother stop paying me we're business partners now and somehow that line worked and it became truth. Um, and we have uh, the next four years of the business, we doubled in size every single year. And it was just committing to doing that. So that is 
my hilarious quick version of the roadmap from theater school to owning an event company. You know, there's, there's two things in there. Um, one, it'll just be kind of like a fleeting comment, which is right. Like, you, you know, that timeline is defined by one liners apparently. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, <laughs> thanks for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but dude, I, I almost like, I almost slammed the pause button mid midway and like we need to shine a spotlight real quick around like how you go from like theater and music and all these things to like nursing <laughs> you know yeah so yeah we can go back to it real quick and that is um i uh back to the jack of all trades thing and trying stuff um in high school i was a volunteer emt firefighter and actually i have held uh, two jobs, uh, we'll call it three jobs, um, in my entire life, uh, where I wasn't the entrepreneur behind what I was doing. And one of them was, I worked at a Wendy's for two weeks and decided that wasn't for me. And the other one is I worked at a private ambulance company. Um, and I, I drove for a private ambulance company for about a year and a half, um, until that just got way too depressing for me and it was kind of darkening my worldview of my early twenties. And I didn't want to be that guy. So I stopped doing that. So I did have a, you know, pseudo medical background. I was uh, an EMT and IV tech at the time and had been around emergency service work. Um, I did not have a school background in, in sciences. I had to take a summer of um, I took five college courses over one summer of like, the, my basic your basic biology and anatomy and stuff like that which they asked me to to do before they considered me for this program at hopkins um but anyways that was it was like oh well that that looks good i could get it done in a couple of years and then come out and know that i'm at least solid and making money it was like those necessity things that you have those crises that you have in your early 20s of like oh gosh should i make money at some point in my life um, and that is where the decision came from. So it, it was not out of left field. I know that's how it sounded, but I did have a pseudo background in emergency service work. Well, and then, so you make the decision not to do it. Was it after the classes? Was it after being exposed to a new entrepreneurial um, venture? Like, how do you, because it sounded like that was, I, I, you know, I know you were bullet pointing, but it, it sounded like it was a rather, you know, you have tended to make these, like, I don't want to say quick decisions, but you've, you've thrown yourself into the experience and realized what is and what isn't for you. Right. Yeah. And I hadn't even thrown myself into that experience. I mean, I took, took the classes. They were what I expected. Um, and it was before the program even got remotely started. It wasn't like I started it and quit. It was, I got the acceptance letter and this, this it was almost the second I read it. I was like, you know what, this is nah, I'm going to do music. <laughs> You know, um, good for you. Good for you in that, because how many people get to that point and if their heart's not into it, they don't have the courage to say like they'll actually end up going through the school. Right. Like how many people like do that? Or at least then... you know, going through the first three months of it or something and spending money to do something. And, you know, I think that maybe, you know, I think there's some merit to the advice. Well, you know, try it. You might like it. But I really think that a lot of people uh, don't give themselves enough credit for being in tune with knowing what they're going to like and be good at and what they're not. Mm -hmm. And I, 
a practice for me my entire life has been going with my gut and that it was a I read the letter and I was like you know what I I can extrapolate from this moment that like I'm reading this letter and saying oh the next two years of my life are literally only going to be about one thing and I think I would enjoy that one thing I like taking care of people I like the emergency services work but am I willing at this point to leave behind music or anything else that might pop up um, and the answer was no. And I came to that pretty quickly. Um, so for better or for worse, who knows? <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. I, I totally forgot about that, but like, yeah, I mean, that is, I quite... forget about that sometimes until yeah, people yeah, ask me about Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and you look back at not, not just your life, but we, we look back at our lives and all those pivotal moments, right. You know, I know for me, after I graduated college, there was a, a pivotal moment of staying in Cincinnati where I was at school or, you know, coming to Baltimore or going back home to, to Jersey where I grew up. And, um, you know, like uh, looking at looking at it at the time, it seemed like such a difficult decision. Um, you know, it was a difficult decision at the time. But looking back, it's like, oh, yeah, of course, this was the easiest decision. Like this was the best decision. And, um, right. and, and it's worked out in that regard. So. But um, yeah, yeah, that, uh, it always cracks me up with that. Um, so you get into business with your brother, and a, as you mentioned, the it just kind of takes off, right? It it just sort of amplifies. What were some of the things that um, you know maybe attributed to that? Um, and uh, what were some of the things that kind of changed from going from high school dances to um, to you know uh, some of these more big time serious events right yeah well so i think the i attribute a lot of the growth to so we'll backtrack for a second my my brother and business partner is also a full-time baltimore county police officer and has been for the last 18 years um and still uh, is currently and so when he was growing this business he just the djing thing was a part-time uh, passion for him um and uh the growing of the business was simply that all of a sudden there was someone there full-time being intentional about growing the business. I mean, that was the beginnings of it. And once we realized that that was all it took in that moment, then um, that was when I, as the business grew, that was when I started saying, Oh crap, now I need to learn how to run a business you know, because <laughs> it wasn't a business then. I mean, it was, um, but it not in the sense that, it is now for sure. Um, yeah. So really the beat, the, the catalyst was let's be intentional about a doing things well and b doing more things. I mean, it was, it was, it's a sounds real like stupid, simple. Um, but it, it really was that, that the, we were getting, he was getting a decent amount of traction with word of mouth stuff and with the business sort of growing, but it was tripping over its own feet and no one was there to pay attention to how to foster it along. But see, I, I can relate to that, right? Because, you know, he, I mean, he has two jobs at this point. I mean, still mm -hmm. does, but he has two yeah. jobs and they're not like synonymous. It's not like he was, you know, oh. a music teacher at a school and then doing a DJ business. He's a police officer yeah. <laughs> and then has this completely different kind of, um, uh, gig although he probably knows all the codes and laws right of like what you can and can't do <laughs> some is just nodding but uh yeah so yeah. I mean, but uh like um i know for me that's been uh, someone who works at a church and is also running a consulting business right it's like not having that other person 
who's just like, all right, we're going to focus on the business aspect of this. Um, that, that you, you brought your brother some levity, release that burden, right. Of right. like trying to do it all. So, I mean, that's some, something so simple that we, we forget about a lot. Oh, for sure. So, um, so basically, uh, this business is, is growing and then, um, you know, I, f- I feel like we just kind of have to talk about the last year because, uh, um, your business, like many businesses, um, I'm sure, well, I remember, so Matt, I was like texting Simon last spring, 2020, just being like, how, how's it going? And one of the comments you made was like, I've never seen so much money disappear <laughs> like so quickly <laughs> in my entire life. Cause wow. I, you know, I, I'm sure with all the events getting paused and canceled and everything. Um, so what was the, besides, Oh crap. What was the mindset like going into that um, just for you guys and, and moving forward? Going, going into it, coming out yeah. of it both. Um, yeah. Both. So, yeah. So uh, going into it, um, we actually had, uh, the alarms went off for us pretty early on. I don't know about most folks um, when they first heard, oh, there's a pandemic and we're, you know, the state is shutting down. Everyone should kind of quarantine for a while. Um, I don't know if most people thought that that was going to be a year of our lives, but instantly when we just first started hearing about the news, we thought, yep, this is going to be bad, you know? because everything we do is predicated around the gathering of people that's in our business. That is, that is our business people together in the same room for a meeting or to have fun or to be drinking at a bar. Like that is our business. And so the second you hear something like that and, and to be honest, it's something that not, I mean, many people had never thought of this before of like, Oh man, that could be an issue. Um, but for us, we had never thought before that like that would be the thing that hurt our business is that people would just stop doing anything. You know, through the, the recession in, in 2008, um, the event industry, the, the, the average that was spent on a wedding through that entire recession went up every single year. So, really? wow. you know, this business is, you know, not recession proof. But if, if I'm thinking about that, it's like, oh, man through something like that, through an economic problem like that, it's like, wow, this business, this is a great business to be in. Everyone's always going to want to find the money to have an event or be together. And that's important to people. Oh, unless people can't do it. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like literally well, cannot be together. Um, and so we were actually in the middle of a move at the time. We had, at the end of 2019, had been the the, the last quarter of 2019, or the second half of 2019. Um, we were stuck in a pretty... A crappy lease situation with our warehousing. We had a 10,000 square foot warehouse in a pretty high rent district. Um, and the lease, there was some wording in the lease that we, you know, for a business mistake 101 was, it wasn't what we thought it was. And it was getting more and more expensive every single year. And uh, we were sort of drowning in it. And decided, you know, the business is going pretty well. We need to try to get out of this lease. And I actually, we found a sub lessee in the shipping industry, thank God, because they boomed through the pandemic um, to take our old space. And so we actually moved um, the first week of March in 2020 
and we unpacked our trucks and then the governor of Maryland shut the state down and we hadn't really put anything away. It was just all of our stuff in the middle of a warehouse floor. That move uh, actually put us in a period of four months free rent because we signed a new lease and was even if we were paying rent was saving us $4,000 a month. So we went into a pandemic where we weren't going to have a rental expense for four months. And even after that, it was going to be $4,000 cheaper than what we were paying before. If we had not made that move in 2019, I wouldn't be talking about a business that was still alive right now. It just wouldn't have happened. Um, and so for whatever reason we made that move, we felt bad about it going in, but we were also thinking very early on that we're going to be able to weather the storm. We were confident in it, which is probably silly, but I think that confidence sort of took us through the last year. And, uh, we definitely uh, put ourselves in, you know, just sitting under a rock and please don't hurt me mode and like stayed sort of <laughs> hidden for a while um, and didn't do anything. But uh, we really going in knew pretty early it was going to be bad, but also felt like we were in the best position possible to try to weather the storm. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I'm thinking about as you're, as you're certainly have walked us through your backstory, right? There's been some constants throughout, mm -hmm. but it has been a lot of pivots and trials and errors and figuring out what works and what doesn't, right? And oh, yeah. so, right, without even probably recognizing it, number one, this was like the create one of the craziest power of moments of like this. We got out of one lease, we got into the other. It happened to be the perfect storm that like helped us uh, rather than hurt. But you know, talk about then, like, what pivots, like, so now you guys are like, whoa, like, we can navigate this thing. Yeah. So, like, in what way did you pivot for the time being to make sure that the business continued to thrive and that you were positioning yourselves, uh, you know, not to kind of fall into a state of victimhood, right? Which yeah. a lot of people can tend to do, you know, during times like that. For sure. I would say um, the confidence I probably just portrayed was is probably like half of a lie because I really think that we didn't do it great early on. I don't think anybody did. I'm not going to sit here and claim that it was like, you know, we were super confident the entire time that everything was going to be awesome. And we pivoted immediately and knew it was going to happen. I actually think I've heard several times in, uh, and I'm not one of these people, but I've heard people in meetings, especially in early 2021, they're like, if I hear the word pivot one more time, I'm just going to punch somebody in the face because like, that was the word of 2020. It was, it was pivot. It was, you know, what, you know, what are you going to do to change things? And, um, you know, I, I think we made several early on our pivot was hiding in a corner and hoping that no one noticed that we weren't paying our bills. <laughs> You know, nobody was. And so that's not a great pivot. But I, I really think the thing that um, really started us on a trajectory to take ownership of what was happening and not be victims, which we absolutely started down that path, um, was a conversation my brother and I had where we said, listen, this is, you know, every growing business has growing pains, right? Especially when one of the CEOs is a police officer and the other one is a theater major who's trying to give himself a business degree on Google. Like that, we, you know, we grow quickly and then it's all of a sudden you're not doing things as well as you used to. Or 
you know, you're not doing HR the way you're supposed to or whatever it is. And we sat down and said, listen, if we survive this, we have to make some changes and go back to being good at what we're doing. We're, this is almost a second chance to fresh start. If we can survive it, it'll be because support was what was good enough or we navigate some financial things, but also no one is going to fault us for reorganizing or trying to get back to some of our you know, core beliefs or whatever it was, instead of just running a rat race of saying, hey, we have a business and it's growing and not really knowing what that means if you really look at it. Um, so we just had a conversation where we said, listen, if we're going to get through this, let's take these next couple of months while we're doing flat out nothing and set some goals for what we want to be when we come out of this thing. And I don't even know if there were any legitimate concrete goals out of that. I, I just know that, that conversation framed framed for us that, um, you know, it's either put up or shut up. It's reorganize or just fold and be the victim. And we didn't want to be that. So we decided that we were going to make a few pivots. Uh, and uh, one of the things we did was we uh, bought some cameras and borrowed some cameras at first and started learning how to do the live stream thing. And it, an interesting point of our business growth is the way we grew the business early on is we said yes to literally everything, which eventually will kill you in business. It will not work. Um, and so, you know, the first time we ever booked a, a pipe and drape job, I, I heard my brother on the phone and he was like, uh-huh. Yep. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We can take care of that for sure. And he hangs up the phone with the client and he turns to me, he says, what's pipe and drape again. And that was how we bought our first set of uprights, crossbars and fabric. You know, we do a ton of that now. And so there's merit to growing a business that way, but we actually got rid of that a little bit in eight, 18 and 19. Um, and we actually brought it back a little bit in 2020 because it was survival mode, right? It was that same sort of thing, but it was also, Hey, do you guys do, you know, someone called us and said, Hey, do you guys do remote streaming? And it was like, of course we do, because if we didn't, we'd be terrible at this. You know, it was like, we we're almost ashamed that we hadn't thought of that yet. Um, and so we, we learned some things. Uh, one of the, one of the big pivots that we had is I um, immediately, um, and maybe it was luck on our part, but we had some disagreements with our warehouse manager at the time um, where he didn't really want to be a part of uh, what we had going on and uh, felt like maybe we were trying to start back up a little bit too early in the pandemic in like June and July when all this, the paycheck protection program stuff came out and we were trying to get people their jobs back. Um, and he decided to leave the company. And instead of replacing him, uh, with someone that was managing our gear, which was literally just collecting dust in the warehouse, uh, we made a hire of someone who was really good in the streaming space. And so while everyone else was letting everyone go, we were hiring some new people, which was spooky because I didn't know how we were going to pay them, but it ended up paying off. Well, you know, uh, and and I actually think Chris can identify with this, right? But we wouldn't be having this conversation today if there wasn't that, you know, call for a lack of a better term, the ultimate reset button, right. Of, yeah. of last March, you know, Chris and I wouldn't have a podcast, right. We wouldn't have slowed down. We wouldn't right. Have started to have these conversations between each other that then led to having conversations with people here in the community. Absolutely. 
And, and having that reset button, whether it's because of a global pandemic or um, just, you know, a change, um, a life change, um, you know, uh, just in general, um, I think allows you to look at things a little bit differently and decide, okay, do you want to continue on the same path or do you want to make adjustments? Do you want to change perspectives? Because, you know, uh, not just with the pandemic, but you were talking about, you know, moving back from New York. You know, the mm-hmm. time after, um, you know, going through all that work for nursing school and then having this moment of saying, like, hold on, is this the right path? Am I discerning yeah. the right path and going through that? And, um, you know, some of those things are within our control. Some of those things are outside of our control. As Matt mentioned, the podcast, um, you know, even I think about my business marathon youth ministry. And uh, if it wasn't for the pandemic, um, you know, this business would look completely different or maybe not even exist, you know, um, in, in that regards. And so it is, it's refreshing to hear you talk about like the conversations you and your brother had, um, about, you know, uh, getting things right, but also being open. And this is part of your entrepreneurial spirit, right? Being open to these new adventures, whether, you know, they're lucrative or not, you know, the, being open to live streaming, being open to pipe and drape, you know, being open to yeah. these different things along those lines. And that I think goes back to what you were sharing before about being this jack of all trades, but really just kind of almost being a tinkerer in, in uh, looking at different things and saying like, okay, how does this work? Does this would this be beneficial to either me or to the people around me? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a real gift that you can give um, to those around you. Yeah. I think the, the gift that we sort of had and the tone of the conversation I was talking about with my brother, where we decided, um, and I liked Matt, what you said about, you know, you, you, the laying down the, the victimhood saying the trap you can fall into, but you know, the tone of that conversation was the actual important part of it. And I think the important lesson in pivots and in um if you're gonna try the tinker thing if you're gonna do the jack of all trades thing um if you can't sit down and tell yourself at some point um hey we're bad at this (laughs) hey we're just not as good as we should be or want to be um you know you can tell yourself oh we have the best of this or we're really good at that but you could be thinking about two years ago and not realize that something has changed and the tone of that conversation was like, what, what are we fighting for? You know, like uh, um, you're, you're not sleeping because you're worried that you're going to go out of business. And, you know, I, I think we, we made an attempt because we had some connections in China actually um, with uh, some of our pipe and drape suppliers in the manufacturing space. I had a really good direct connection with someone who, they switched their entire factory over to making PPE like everyone else in the world, but they actually had availability to ship stuff to the U S right before everything shut down the border. And we were about to make a deal with the Baltimore County police department because we were going to be able to get them PPE that no one else could. And so I spent an entire week of flipping my sleep schedule and trying to be an importer of PPE. And I was like, what am I doing? Right? Like this makes no sense. And it didn't end up happening but it was one of those things that's like, after I'm so exhausted, it was the conversation was, what are we fighting for? Because if you look back at the last couple of years, we're not as good at this as we want to be. So if we're going to fight for it, if we're going to put all this work into it and try to survive this thing in this ultimate reset button, as you described it, Chris, it's like, 
then we bet it, we damn well better get good at it again. And that's the first step into, okay, how do we get good at it again? What was it that made it that way? I also want to make a quick comment on, I think in conversations that I've had with people last year talking about this reset and how, you know, you either fall victim and do nothing about it or using it as an opportunity. I think we hit those crossroads daily in life. And if it takes a global pandemic to make us actually do something about it, um, just personally, I think it says a lot about us as a culture and as people that maybe mm. we should try to hit that reset button a little bit more frequently um, and not wait for, you know, a global pandemic to make it happen. You know, it, it's interesting, right? Because a lot of times, right, for people to find success, they've got to find a lane, right? They've got to find one thing right. that they can like focus their energy towards, Right. And, and, and you actually alluded to something uh, that just sparked a, a another, you know, a, just a thought. And I'm, I'm loving this conversation was, you know, if we hear the word pivot again, you know, we're going to like punch someone. And so first I was like, oh, thank God we're on Zoom. Right. Uh, and then secondly, I thought about, you know, how many times like and I use this all the time, but how many times we talk about growth, yeah. you know, and and like, oh, we're green and growing growth, blah, blah. And as you were talking, I just actually, you know, what came to me was adapt. Yeah. Right. Like how often is growth just a, like a series of small adaptations, you know, and like the mm-hmm. entrepreneurial world is just these constant adaptations, right. That build up to, you know, these moments that you're speaking of and whether it's a pivot or, or whatever we want to coin it, you've got to be open to that. And the people who like kind of dig their heels into like, oh, this is the way it's always been done and they're not adapting, man, I just, I can't even imagine like what their world is like. Um, yeah, I think that, like yeah, absolutely, Matt. And I think a lot of my personal experiences, you know, like some of the stuff that we've just described that you guys are shedding light on some of these like huge uh, break points in my life that were like either one-liners or very quick decisions. Um, all of that was, has been, um, informative and it's just a practice at this, you know what I mean? And that, and I'm incredibly grateful for that, but you know, also the industry that, that we have chosen to be a part of in this event world, um, it's most of it, it's just specialized logistics really. Cause there's, there are so many things that can go wrong because there's a million different pieces of equipment. There's also several points in the chain that can get dropped if you're working on a huge event and there's one client but their boss who you haven't talked to had a different vision than they did and you know and then everyone has heard the the bridezilla cliche it's real but not everyone is like that in general like this gig is just problem solving that is the job and if you're not good at it you will not succeed in the event industry um, but a lot of industries, honestly, so a lot of the, a lot of industries are based on can you problem solve? Can you adapt? Which is a, which is great. Um, I'm reminded of a conversation I had recently. Um, the uh, part of a, a networking uh, a group that we're a part of in business, so we have one on one meetings with um, C-level folks uh, in a ton of different industries. And I was speaking with a guy named uh, Dustin from Insight Automation, um, and they're a software company. Um, And we're just doing a one-on-one to sort of get to know each other's businesses and see how we might be able to help each other or introduce um, the type of clients that that they're looking for, that we're looking for. 
And he said something great. It was like our first time really having a one-on-one conversation and it was on Zoom. And he started it with, you know, I, you know, hearing about your business. And I like, he's like, when I do these one-on-one conversations, I always look at the person's industry and I get well-versed in sort of what they do. And I always ask myself, would I want to do that? Like, that seems interesting. And then he said that when uh, he was like, and then I looked at uh, yours and I thought about the event industry and all the stuff you have to deal with. And I thought to myself, nah, I would never want to do that in a million years. And I was like, wow, thanks, Dustin. That's great. I appreciate that. But it was just really funny to think, you know, he nailed it on the head. It was that we're basically just a specialized logistics company. That's it. That That's you boil it down. That's what we are. But your your specialized uh, logistics company that you know provides um, provides people an escape because I was thinking back to your comment uh, in regards to comparing the pandemic to the recession, right? And you said mm-hmm. you know all the years after the recession, the business just kind of grew, or uh, at least the industry grew. Yeah, and it's one of those things where, of course, people could gather, but life was so miserable or so tough that people were looking for that escape and whether that was in a wedding or a corporate event or something like that, you know, even if it was pushing the budget, I feel like you were giving people a chance to just kind of forget about like everything crazy going on in their lives. And, and that's the hard thing about the pandemic is they couldn't do that. I mean, we had to sit in misery (laughs) thinking about our lives, you know, in a way there was no escape. Um, and that, and just going back to some of the other things that we're talking about, um, you know, here is you were forced to really reconcile with where you were in life or where you are in life and it's playing the victim or, you know, getting up and and figuring out like how you're going to move forward in, in this world. And, and it's interesting because, and I'm sure you're seeing this, you know, not just with your business, but with other people in your business, like how many people are still playing, you know, victim and saying like, oh, you know what, we just can't get to where we are because of 2020. And then other people who are just starting to thrive and take advantage of these new opportunities emerging. Yeah. So with that, I mean, you talked about the live stream. Um, What other like new opportunities are you guys seeing? Or, you know, let's, uh, let's, let's have some fun. What predictions (laughs) are you seeing moving forward in the next year or two? Uh, for you and your brother or just, uh, you know, just in life in general? One of the things I'm happy about and the prediction, because it is a prediction that I'm making uh, with whatever I know about the event industry, but live streaming is here to stay. It's not going away. Zoom meetings are here to stay. They're not going away. Um, you know, talking to plenty of people who would much rather stay at home and work with no pants on than go into the office every single day. Um and it's just one of those things. So I'm happy we're, we're actually doubling down on the live stream aspect of the business and not using it as a bridge of just, we're um, going to use it as an add-on to everything that we do. I mean, we're, you, we're utilizing that as an upsell for um, weddings and corporate events alike, and it's not going away. So we're really excited about that. I, I really think it's just going to be an addition to this industry. Um and to plenty of industries, but very, but, but mainly the event industry, I don't think it's going away, um, which is excellent and getting good at that. And I think the goal and the race for um, the next few years with event companies who are still here or who are just starting um, is going to be how to make the remote experience better every single time. How is it 
um, that is the race right now because um, the in-person events are what they are um, and they can always be better. But the folks who do both really, really well are going to thrive. And that's what we're striving to do uh, right now. Um, and, and I actually haven't nailed down the reason for what I'm about to say, but I have sent, you know, as, as a company, we're, we're a mid-level event company. We do um, about uh, in 2019, 2018, 2019, we did an average of about 1,100 events a year, which is a lot of events, but our average event is was probably in the seven $800 range at that point. Um, 2019, I think it was over 1,000, but there are most of our competitors in the space are are either very small single op folks that do an average $500 event or giant companies that only do five figure events. Um, and for whatever reason, whether it's there's a clearer playing field at this point because people get out of the game or because some of the bigger companies with bigger overhead didn't thrive as much, but in the last couple months for this, for the fall, like uh, when I was saying Matt at the beginning of this was, um, the our pipeline for the fall, I've sent more proposals and gotten more signed contracts for five figure and up events for this fall than we ever have in the history of the company. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't know if that's because we're finally breaking through on, you know, in front, you know, we have a lot of SKUs here, right? We do a lot of different things as a company. We're almost that jack of all trades in the event industry, which is hard, um, Sometimes it's great because at any entry point, we can add a whole bunch of things and facilitate things for our clients. And we really like that. But sometimes we don't get called by the folks who need that because they see us as just a wedding company or something like that. So whether we're finally getting through somehow, or if there's a clear playing field or whatever it is, um, or if we're just lucking into it, that part of our company, the corporate side, the bigger events, um, we're on pace to facilitate more than we ever have. And it's only in one half of a year. Um, so we're excited about that, but that those are my predictions slash opportunities that we have coming up uh, in the next six to 12 months. That's awesome, man. And and it's like, you know, moments like that, it's like almost super important to figure out like, okay, where are these contracts coming from? Right. right. Like, is it the live stream? Is it, so you know what to lean mm -hmm. into when you do so much, but you know, uh, the, the last thing that, uh, that you kind of piqued my interest on as we were talking about and, and you know, getting away from pivots and stuff like that a little bit is uh, the power of relationships. Yeah. Right. So you had mentioned, you know, you had a connection in um, China, right. You are mm -hmm. part of this networking group, right. Any great business, right. Like a lot of times it's who, not how, and, and you've even said, right. Like when one person stepped away, we didn't just immediately replace that person. We identified what like what the the fit for the next great role was going to be for us that was going to take us into a different direction so right can you just speak to our listeners uh, uh, you know about the power of relationships even through the years like maybe not even just your business today but what that's meant to you and and uh you know how important that it that really is yeah i think um it's unbelievably important i think that the you know the when i think about what you just said I think the most important thing any of us can do is take time out of what we think we're supposed to be doing and connect with people on a person to person level. Cause not only do we learn, it just opens our, opens our eyes or and for me, I, like I said, I love to learn new things. So, you know, uh, sitting down with someone I don't know and, or 
sitting down with something, someone I haven't seen in a while and learning something new about them. I think that connection is invaluable because there's also, you know, plenty around that we find reflections of ourselves in other people as well when we get these more meaningful uh, connections. I think in business, it is, you know, the con- most of these connections are not a, not just about who you do business with, but having a great connection with someone and them being a, uh, you know, if you have a great relationship with, with someone, they can be a bullhorn for your business. That's advertising you're not paying for, but you're investing in, right? And so I think that that is extremely important on the business level, but I think in general, just uh, uh, in in the main takeaway for for the this relationship building and getting to a point where these things are um, beneficial in business and in life, like I said, being able to sort of take a step back and just take time to to do something is you a hundred percent of the time get out of things, what you put into them and relationships are no different. (laughs) Well, and I'll just, I'll just kind of leave this out there. Um, but you had said, um, it's advertising and like that word of mouth bullhorn advertising doesn't cost us anything. Yeah. But how many people miss the actual investment that you're putting into it, which is the investment into the other person or into the pro, you know, the product or experience that you're providing. Absolutely. The, 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 the pay it forward thing works a hundredfold. If you, if you do right by someone else, or you invest time in helping someone being good to people, it, yeah, it costs your time, but it is an unbelievable investment that you can't, money can't buy that money can't do anything close to that. Um, and something I always say to some of our guys in the business and in the, in, in the, especially in the, the event industry is, and people look at me funny, I'd say, you know, there's plenty of work for everybody out there. Burning a bridge in, my, in our industry, especially in the city of Baltimore, the small Baltimore, I mean, would be completely insane. So, you know, we work with competitors all the time because why not? Um, it always ends up working out. So, uh, yeah. I think what you said, investing in other people and not missing that um, as a crucial part of any strategy to, to build a well-balanced life or a well-balanced business, I think is spot on that. Awesome, Simon. I, I think we'll we'll end with that. Just if people want to find you or connect with you um, or learn more about your business, so where can we send them? Uh, where are some good places to go? Um, yeah, I mean, the, the main, the main thing to connect with the business is through the website, uh, Baltimore's event solutions.com. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's, that's the place to find us and, and what we're about. Um, places to find me is every Sunday morning at the church and the activity in Timonium. <laughs> um, but other than that, that's, that's where we are. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Simon, my friend, it is good to catch up with you. I know we didn't connect a lot in the last year, but, uh, just uh, getting to introduce you to other people and uh, your your thirst for knowledge and, and all things that are unusual and usual and fascinating. Um, really do appreciate you and uh, so glad that uh, you could join us on the show. Of course. Thanks for having me. 
All right, Matt, another great conversation with Simon. Again, always appreciate learning something new about people that uh, even if I've known them for, for years, but uh, what was your big takeaway from our conversation with Simon today? You know, I think it, it kind of came uh, a little bit from all angles, but you know, one of the things that I, you know, I hope our listeners took away, because um, I know I did was, you know, he, 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 we joked about it, but he had some really profound one-liners that I think just come really naturally to him. Um, and one of the things that I really loved uh, coming from the perspective of running a business or being, you know, that entrepreneurial spirit is he, you know, he said um, something to the effects of, you know, I've just found that um, number one, you know, uh, you find success in doing things well. And then once you find that, right? Continued success is just doing more things mm. and, and continuing to build upon that. And so um, I really like that really resonated with me uh, in this conversation amongst, uh, you know, many other things. Yeah. The one liner thing is fine because um, I never really thought about that with him before. And and you, 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 you pointed that out, especially as he told his timeline, how there are these just like phrases or these thoughts that really kind of defined the moment where things changed or, you know, moved in a, a new direction. And so uh, that's something that I definitely appreciated um, because it also made me think about like my own journey. Right. And, mm -hmm. and he talked about this, um, but how many times do we slow down, stop and think about the moments where we hit a crossroads or we had to make a change or, you know, to use that word pivot, you know, and, uh, and those were like life, defining moments, you know, that, um, you know, and, and every decision we make, right, is going to alter the, um, the future, but like, those, those rare moments, or maybe not so rare moments, but those profound moments where, like, if we go left, it's a completely new world compared to if we go right. Um, and so I love when we have conversations like that with our guests, where you, where they help you slow down and think about exactly the direction that you need to go. Yeah. And you know what? Like, I think one of the, the things to just even go a step further on that is, is like, just continue to make decisions and adapt, right? Most people get stuck in indecision, you know, and, and we talked a little bit about, um, you know, like how, yes, he slowed down, but he also, Right. Him and his brother found the opportunity to like make a series of decisions that have now changed the way that they do business. Um, and then, you know, the other thing, and I know we touched upon this at the end that I just loved um, was how much, you know, as he was stringing that story together, like the power of relationships just continues to show up. Um, and it, it, you know, if there was a, a, a conversation that I felt like encapsulated, you know, what we set out for, you know, 21 episodes ago, you know, plus the, the runs we were on, you know, I, this one really caught me by surprise. And, and, you know, it's just the type of relationship that, you know, I see myself, you know, wanting to nurture and get together with a guy like Simon. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's always great to have those conversations with him and, um, you know, uh, just talk about all these different aspects of life, business and and so forth. And and so we really enjoyed our time with Simon and we hope that you did as well. And so if you want to learn a little bit more about Simon, 
and uh you know the business that he is a part of uh we'll have the show uh we'll have links in the show notes but it's baltimore's event solutions.com uh he and his brother run baltimore's premier event solutions and um as he mentioned they do all sorts of events if you're looking for someone to you know create that unforgettable experience. Um, and if you enjoyed this conversation too, we'd love your comments. You can shoot us an email at info at betweenthemiles.com or you can go to our website, betweenthemiles.com and leave a comment below the show or even better yet, you know, to help us, uh, you know, get the word out about these conversations that we're having, go to Spotify or Apple Podcasts or anywhere that this podcast can be heard and leave us a review, especially a five-star review. And we are just so thankful for everyone who listens to this show. And um, again, I'm Chris and with me is Matt. And we're slowing down, talking to the people around us. This is Between the Miles. has been a Between the Miles production. Your hosts, Chris Wesley and Matt Wells. Music provided by Jan Studio, Wide Open Road. For more information, visit our website at betweenthemiles.com.